Hey everyone, I'm Stephanie, and I believe that all readers should read children's literature, especially adults. So that's what we do on the Kid Lit Love podcast. We celebrate all things children's literature, picture books, early readers, middle grade, and young adult novels too. Whether you're an adult reading to your inner child or connecting the young readers in your lives with fantastic books, you've come to the right place. Each week, we'll talk to a different children's literature author and discuss their books, their hopes and dreams for readers, their writing process, and much, much more. So grab a notebook to build your TBR and let's get to today's episode of Kid Lit Love. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Kid Lit Love podcast. I'm here today with Jessica Vitalis, middle grade author I cannot wait to talk to after reading her latest book. She is the author of The Wolf's Curse, The Rabbit's Gift, and the book we're going to talk about today, Coyote Queen. You might see a theme in those titles. I know I did that I cannot wait to ask about, but before we jump into all those specifics, Jessica, welcome to the Kid Lit Love podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Oh, I am so glad you're here. After finishing Coyote Queen, the book we're going to talk about today, I had to just sit, just had to sit and be with it for a bit. As I mentioned, I I read it to my inner child. I read it to my parenting heart. There were just so many thoughts swirling around. So I am excited to be able to talk to you about them today. But before we do that, why don't you jump in with an introduction? Give us a little background on you and the books you write. Sure. Well, I am a kidlet author writing exclusively middle grade at this point with Greenwillow HarperCollins. And I have been writing for oh gosh, almost 20 years now, but it took me 13 years to get my first book deal. So that was quite a long journey. Um, Like you said, my first two books were The Rabbit's Gift and The Wolf's Curse, which were definitely animal themed. And that was intentional. My third book, Coyote Queen, the animal element was I don't want to say unintentional, but that definitely came in later with the little twist of magic that we can talk about. But yeah, middle grade has my entire heart. I I just love writing stories for that age range. And I'm just so happy to be here with you today talking about them. Oh, thank you. So, so am I. Um, let's jump into Coyote Queen then. Let's just get right to it because okay, it, let's do it. it's so fresh in my mind. It was so powerful. It was so emotional. And it did have a little bit of magic that I I didn't see coming, you know, but I enjoyed very much and kind of came full circle to um, at the end. I I try not to give spoilers on the podcast, so it it might be hard to to give a a full picture, but we'll we'll do our best. (laughs) (laughs) So why don't you give listeners um, kind of a, a little overview of Coyote Queen and oh, that character that just has my heart. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad you love Fudd as much as I do. I love Fudd her. is a main character. 
And she is a 12-year-old girl who is stuck in a very difficult situation. She's living in a very isolated trailer with her mom and her mom's boyfriend, who is really an abusive, aspiring boxer. And his name is Larry. And Larry brings home a trailer, or excuse me, he brings home a boat that he plans to fix up and turn into their permanent home. And Fudd completely freaks out because she knows that this boat is going to become a floating prison. So she decides that she has to do something about it, which is difficult because she's just a kid and her mom has no money. She has no job. She is completely reliant upon Larry for everything, including transportation. So Fudd does the only thing she can think of which is join a local beauty pageant. And she enters the beauty pageant, even though she is very much not into beauty pageants, hoping that she can earn the prize money that she and her mom would need to make their escape. But while all that is happening, she is noticing some strange changes to her body. So she starts to go colorblind and she develops a better sense of smell. And eventually she has to figure out how she is going to win a beauty pageant, even though she has grown a tail. <laughs> yes yeah, so at that part i thought what what is this girl going to do and let's just say she rocked it <laughs> she did <laughs> but i will say that it, i think the ending is a surprise i don't think hearing yes. that readers will know what's going to happen i agree i agree and i think the ending without saying what the ending was um really appealed to me as a reader because how do I say this without giving things away? It, it, it was a good ending, right? If we like happy endings or full circle endings, but not in a way that I was expecting that I think readers might expect. Um, it definitely it had me on the edge of my seat. Like what exactly is going to happen? Are we going to follow the magical piece that I've, I've now mm -hmm. seen? Um, is something going to happen and, and mom's going to step up? Is something else going to happen? You know, all of those things just kept me turning the pages right until the end. But I appreciated the realness of the ending as well. And I guess that's all I can say. <laughs> but I, I, super, super important to me. Like, I really wanted to write a story that was hopeful, but I didn't want to give false hope, right? Because kids living in these difficult situations, there isn't usually some sort of magical happily ever after. So it was really a balance that I wanted to get exactly right. So I'm happy to hear that that it resonated with you. Yeah, it, it did. And I think the other piece that I, I really enjoyed, and, and by enjoyed, I think it really made me think, it taught me a thing or two about how I think about people and the world and and how I react to them because in in the book you know there is a lot going on with mom there is a lot going on with Larry uh, there's stuff going on at school um, but I loved when you know the potential new BFF moves in and Fudd has to kind of change her thought system of what she thought about people based on their outer characteristics, like what, what she thought her friend might be, what she thought she might be capable of, um, which, you know, in middle grade, it's all about the friends and the potential for good. And unfortunately, as, as we see in the book and in real life, the potential that that can cause to wreak havoc on our mental health as well. Um, but I would love for you to say more about that character and, and how 
it just added such a richness to the story where it wasn't just about a difficult situation at home, but it was also about friendship and figuring out your way and, and ultimately trying to feel good in your own skin or tail <laughs> as well. Yeah. So it's interesting that you ask about that because so the the potential BFF that you mentioned, her name is Lee yeah. and she moves in. So I mentioned that FUD lives in a very isolated trailer. She lives way out of town. It's on an isolated dirt road and there's only one other trailer on this dirt road that's sort of semi-abandoned. And a kid moves into this trailer unexpectedly and Lee was as much of a surprise for me as she was for the reader because I remember sitting at my desk there's a moment in the book where Fudd is outside. She doesn't want to be inside the trailer with Larry. And she's sitting outside, sort of poking around in that bored way that kids do when they're looking for something to do. And this U-Haul pulled up. And I remember typing, thinking, you know, that's interesting. I wonder who's inside the U-Haul. And the door opened and I just kept typing. And Lee popped out like this fully formed character that was just so full of life and so full of this optimism. Yeah. Um that she just really, I don't want to say she took over the story, but she was exactly what FUD needed to sort of help her through this difficult time. And she was just really, really fun to write. I find it fascinating that, you know, you were just typing and all of a sudden this amazingness <laughs> kind of comes out. That's one of the things I've been learning so much from talking to authors is about their process of you know, who is a planner or as someone has told me, who's the pantser, you know, that just writes by the seat of their their pants. And, you know, when, as a reader, I get to many points in a book and I think, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? What is that character going to do next? And I'll often think to myself, how did the author figure out what the character was going to do next? Because, you know, I'm trying to figure it out and it just kind of pops out, I guess, when you're so immersed in, in the story. Yeah, I think it can be a combination. I mean, I'm sort of, I call myself a planter, so I don't plan everything out. But I also don't write by the seat of my pants. I used to, and I do love that process. I love just letting the story unfold, but I find that I spend too much time spinning my wheels. And now that I'm usually on deadline, I just don't have that luxury to wander. So I try to know just enough about the story to keep me on track. I try to know my character's wants and needs so that I have a sense of their character arc. And I try to know, you know, the first plot points and almost always I know the climax because I view it like going on vacation. You don't get in the car and then just drive and hope you end up somewhere. You need to know a destination, even if you're not quite sure sometimes how you're going to get there or what roads you're going to take. So it, it always is very, very interesting sometimes when you write yourself into those situations where you're like, huh, what's going to happen next? But for me, a movie has to play out in my head before I can really type it out. I have to be able to visualize it. And I think if you're immersed enough, at least for me, if I'm immersed enough in my character, then I can just put myself in their shoes and sort of the story then just unfolds naturally. Yeah. Yeah. And you do it beautifully because I had a movie in my head running the entire oh. time. I felt like I was there. I felt like I was in the trailer. I felt like, you know, in the moments where the magical, uh, the magic kind of happens. I, I felt it. I felt like I was there. The descriptions, the way that you, you write those scenes that are so important to FUD and what's going on. You really, I really just felt like I was there, like truly an immersive experience for me, for sure. 
Oh, I love that. Thank you. Thank you so oh. much. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> now, I haven't read The Wolf's Curse or The Rabbit's Gift yet. Uh, trust me, I'm going to go through those books now that I have I have been so smitten with Coyote Queen. But there's definitely, you know, reading the titles alone, we've got a theme <laughs> of a wolf, a rabbit, a coyote. And I know you mentioned it shifted a bit for this third book, but t tell me about that. Is, th is that a purposeful thing? Is it something that just happened in book one that's threaded through? Or is it something that's important to you to write in that way? You know, it has been really funny how that unfolded. So The Wolf's Curse came about because I was, it was actually the sixth book that I had ever written. It was the first one I sold. And when I was coming up with my idea for my sixth book, I remember standing in front of my bookshelves, just searching for inspiration, looking at all these beautifully published books that I loved. And I saw The Book Thief. And that's by Marcus Zusak. I don't know if you've read it. It's a beautiful beautiful story set in Nazi Germany. It's about a foster child who's sent to live with a different family. But the really brilliant thing about that book is that it's narrated by death. And that was just a huge light bulb moment for me, even though I had read that book several times before. At this moment, when I was really looking for my next thing, I just thought it would be really cool to write a story with death as the narrator, but for a younger middle grade market. So I started to do that. But I was really bothered by the way we think about death and how it's often portrayed as this sort of grim reaper character and it's very dark and it's very frightening. And I wanted to portray death as something more, I don't wanna say comforting, but more accessible and less frightening for middle grade readers. So I decided to make death, first of all, a female. And second of all, I thought, well, what if she's an animal? Kids tend to like animal stories. They relate to animals. That could be really something fun to play with. And I first thought of a bird but that, I thought that would make it too easy for me, right? If death is this bird that can just fly in, pluck out a soul and fly away, then there's no real tension in the story. So I needed to make it something that was just a little bit harder to manage. And I don't know exactly why, but a wolf was the next thing that popped in my mind. And so off I went writing the story with wolf as the narrator. And then my editor had actually bought two books from me, The Wolf's Curse and a second book that I did not really especially have an idea for. So I decided that I really wanted to write the opposite of The Wolf's Curse. I kind of felt done with this idea of exploring death and grief. And I wanted to explore birth and life. And that really didn't feel appropriate for middle grade readers because middle grade readers do not want to be reading about birth. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So I was I was talking to a friend and I was kind of panicking and lamenting in the way that we do with our closest friends. And she said, well, what about the French myth about birth? And I had never heard of that, but it's similar to our stork mythology where French culture tells children that babies are actually born in cabbage plants. And I was immediately captivated. There's a really beautiful movie from, I think it's 1895 or 1896 by Alice Guy Blaché, where she, it's the first silent film actually ever made um, that tells a story. And she portrayed this um, garden where she sort of danced around. She dressed up because there weren't really actors and actresses back then. And she danced around plucking babies out of cabbage plants. And it was just captivating. So I decided to do that, but I wasn't I didn't really want to use cabbage per se, and I wanted to have the story feel very much like The Wolf's Curse. 
So I decided to make them cabbage-like plants. And I decided that instead of fairies, I would have rabbits growing the babies in these cabbage plants and then trading them to the humans. So they would deliver the human babies in exchange for the carrots that they needed to survive. So the first two, I think, were pretty intentional in terms of including animals. And that wasn't really the case with Coyote Queen. <laughs> right. Oh, my gosh. I have to run out and get the rabbit's gift now. It, it sounds lovely. It sounds fascinating. I am not a, a big um, fantasy reader. I, I have to plan for it in my reading life. But that that was the most wonderful kind of elevator pitch for, <laughs> for a book. I cannot wait to uh, to read that one. And I can't help. But think about, you know, when I was a kid, my most favorite thing in the world was my Cabbage Patch doll. And I'm wondering yeah. now where that came from. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know for sure, but I'm almost certain that it was definitely inspired by the French mythology. Oh. And that was another big reason why in my book, I don't specifically ever call it cabbage because um, I just wanted to stay away from any like trademark issues. Right. So I invented a whole different mythology. It's a different kind of plant rather than exactly a cabbage plant. But yeah, that was definitely on my mind too, because I remember really wanting a cabbage patch baby when I was yeah. a kid. <laughs> yeah, I still have mine upstairs in my closet for sure. <laughs> well, I love that. <laughs> so uh, why do you think the the departure from those those two books that, you know, seem very similar in that theme and you're exploring, um, you know, that kind of point of view, what made you take a, a little bit of a turn into Coyote Queen in that way? Coyote Queen is actually an offshoot of the first book I ever tried to write. So I had a really bizarre and unusual childhood. It was very transient. We moved all the time. I had an adult in my life who did not treat me the way that adults should treat kids. And as a adult, I wanted to write about that. I wanted to feel seen and I wanted to feel heard. And so I tried to write a memoir. And I very quickly learned that memoirs are really, really difficult to write. They are, you have to have such a level of self-awareness, such a, a level of emotional openness that I did not have in my early 20s. And also, life does not follow a neat narrative arc. So this book was just an absolute disaster. It was really I had no idea what I was doing, but it did really capture my love of writing. And so I went on to write several more books. I switched to fiction, but all the time, this idea of telling my story was sort of burning in my head and I couldn't let it go, but I also couldn't find a way to write the story that needed to be written. And it really wasn't until I decided to fictionalize it. And I took myself off as the main character and I added FUD and the book started to come to life, but it still felt really dark and really heavy. And it didn't feel like something that was going to be appealing to middle grade readers. So that's really where the twist of magic came in. Yeah. Coyotes were a really big part of my childhood. They would howl outside of a, at one point we lived in a one room cabin with no electricity, with no running water and the coyotes would howl all the time. And so I would be too scared to go outside and use the bathroom. And that really stuck with me. And I thought, what if I can use those coyotes to somehow use them as a metaphor for FUD's desire to escape. And so even though I didn't really mean to, I ended up writing yet another story with a deep animal connection. <laughs> but the other important thing was that, that I wasn't telling my exact story. Like I realized that I didn't have to tell exactly what happened to me as a kid in order to write a story that would feel kids live, that would help kids 
living in these really difficult situations feel seen and feel heard. So that was what I was trying to do with the story. Yeah. And, you know, they will. I mean, that's that's what I love so much about, well, literature in general, but especially middle grade author, children's literature. You know, childhood is such a, it's an important time. It's a impressionable time. And books can either help, right? Or they can help you feel seen. They could get you through hard times. As a kid, I, I was really sick as a kid. I spent a lot of time indoors, times in hospitals, and books were my lifelines, right? I learned how to be a teenager through books. I learned what life was supposed to be through books. I learned what to do once I got out of that room through books, and I think this book, like you said, will just help so many kids who maybe haven't seen their situation inside of a book, or maybe they felt ashamed of it, that this, this shows them, you know, they're not alone. They're not alone. Yes. And there's hope in many different forms and different outlets. And that's why I love to, at, at the end, again, without giving it away, but there's a, a really, for me, important part where she decides she deserves help outside of what she's been dealt with. Um, and that was a, a, that was such an important part for me because I think sometimes kids feel like they can't go outside of that bubble that they're in for lots of reasons. Fear being one of them as, as we know, as we know, FUD felt, um, that felt like such an important part of the book for many kids everywhere who happen to be reading that and might think, okay, I didn't think of that. Or there's this possibility to give them some hope at the end of the book, too. Yeah. And that was such an important part of writing the book for me. I mean, there's so many layers to what we're talking about, but for sure, the stigma, the embarrassment of dealing with poverty, of dealing with domestic violence, of dealing with things that go on behind closed doors. And so sometimes you don't want to reach out because of all of that. Sometimes you don't want to reach out because of the fear, like you said. And so I really wanted to model um, you know, one potential way that you could find some support. So the other thing as you were talking that I thought of though, was I almost had shivers because you must have really related to Click. How interesting is that, that they're, the adult in Fudd's life was also hospitalized as a child. And so she has a tattoo on her arm that Fudd asks about and the tattoo symbolized her, um, her reminder to get out and live life because she didn't have a chance to do that as a kid. So I love that connection. Yes. Like I said, this book had so many things going on in it for me that I was, I was thinking about that. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, those characters do bring click and, and Lee, they do bring a, a, a lightness an optimism, you know, pink sparkly things. And, you know, um, it was, it was a nice balance, not to say that it has to have balance, but like you said, it's a middle grade novel to show the the contrasting sides and that there, there is, there is challenge, but there also could be, you know, small delight too, depending on mm -hmm. who you reach out to. Yeah, absolutely. There can be joy and humor, even when we're dealing with really, really tough stuff. Yeah. And I so enjoyed picturing what the inside of that trailer looked like, and especially of Lee's room, because again, your descriptions are just so immersive. I felt like I was sitting there with you know, all of the mismatched things, but that made everything come together. I was, I was trying to visualize and thought how fun, how fun that must have felt for the two of them in that nice little safe space. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a lot of fun to write too, just to to visualize that for FUD and have fun bringing it all together. Uh, so are you working on another book now? I am working on several things now, but right now the one that I'm most excited about is my next book, which is called Unsinkable Cayenne. And it comes out in October of 2024, October 29th, actually, of 2024. And it is yet another big departure for me because it is a historical novel in verse. So it is set in 1985. Are you a big verse reader? I love verse. I love, love, love verse. Although I'm I'm, right now I'm realizing that 1985 is now historical. I wanted to weep when I realized that as well. Yeah, it's, it's depressing. But if you think about it, kids reading sure. now, to them, that is ancient history. So yep. <laughs> yeah, it's historical, but the book is set around the discovery of the Titanic. And it is inspired by my childhood in the same way that Coyote Queen is. But instead of delving into the domestic violence and the abuse, it really focuses on socioeconomic issues. The main character, Fudd, um, I'm sorry, her name is not Fudd, of course, (laughs) her name is Cayenne. Cayenne has a very transient hippie family that is very, very embarrassing. And so for a variety of reasons, they end up settling in a small Midwestern town, and she is determined to build a normal life for herself. Um, but at the same time, she has a teacher who's obsessed with the recently discovered Titanic wreckage. And so she is grappling with all of the socioeconomic mm, lessons that come from that in terms of she learns that Most of the first class passengers survived on the Titanic and most of the third class passengers died on the Titanic. And so she is struggling to figure out who she is and how she's going to fit in, even though she comes from a poor, embarrassing family. Um, And just all of the questions that we ask ourselves about how come money makes us worth more or less than other people and how that ties into the Titanic. And it's just it's a really, really fun story. I'm very excited about it. It sounds fascinating. I I love finding anything I can about the Titanic. I've, you know, watched the movie a bazillion times, every documentary that comes out. That is definitely going to be a, a reminder in my calendar in October you know, from now to, to read that for sure. And I'll make sure in the show notes to put links to all of the books um, and where they can find you as well. So where where can they find you so that they can keep their eye out for that book as well as grab Coyote Queen and, and your backlist too? Sure. I am at www.jessicavitalis.com. So just my full name. That's probably the best and most reliable place to find me. I try really hard to be on Instagram. I'm not super great at it, but I do try. I am still over on the Twitter X platform, which I'm not super happy with. And I don't know how long that will last. Um, and I have my fingers into Blue Sky, too. I don't know if you have, have tried that out yet, but we'll see if I stay there or not. Yeah, you know, I haven't tried it out, but more and more authors that I'm talking to are gravitating towards that or leaving Twitter or X, whatever it is, and moving towards that. So it's something I think I'm going to explore but I like you um social media is not my most consistent practice um 
I post everything from the podcast and things that I'm reading, but I'm not the kind of person that, you know, gets on there and is actually social. <laughs> and so therefore Instagram does not reward me <laughs> with people finding me. Right. So social media yeah. is definitely challenging. <laughs> I think the problem, and as a writer on Instagram, like conceptually, I do like Instagram, but most of my days when I'm not out doing, you know, school visits, most of my time is spent at my desk writing in my pajamas, and I am yeah. certainly not posting pictures of myself. <laughs> my big, ugly sweatshirt, and you know, my hair sticking up every which way. And so I really do struggle, you know, to find content that people will want to connect with. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's why this is a podcast and not a YouTube video. So we are only pulling audio for this. So I feel you there too. <laughs> Oh, well, thank you so much for chatting with me today. I hope readers, listeners everywhere will go grab a copy of Coyote Queen. I know they'll find an entry point in there, whether it's their inner child, their parent, parenting heart, or just being an adult today and getting some information that that can help them too. I think it's a book that cannot just be there for middle grade readers, but for adults going through some of those challenges and seeing the the hope at the end as well. So thank you for that gift of a book. It was wonderful. And I'm so glad you were here. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's been a great conversation. Thank you so much. All right, everyone. I will see you inside the next episode. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Kid Lit Love podcast. You'll find links to all the books, resources, and ideas mentioned in the show notes at alitlife.com. And if you want more, you might like to listen to my other podcast called Get Literate. It's a podcast that explores all things books and reading, notebooks and writing, and everything in between to build a life you love. One more thing. If you love what you listen to today, please take a moment to rate and review the podcast or take a screenshot of the episode and text it to a bookish friend. This helps the podcast grow and builds our bookish community of kid lit love. Thanks for listening.